Welcome to A Matter of Law, a Hogan Lovell series that takes a deep dive into the latest developments that are shaping the legal world. Our team of lawyers will provide insight into crucial and rapidly evolving issues and address the risks that can lead from the boardroom to the courtroom. As the world continues to move past the COVID-19 pandemic, new areas are now caught under the umbrella of compliance. This is adding to the job specs of compliance officers everywhere. The geopolitical environment continues to throw out new challenges, as well as increased scrutiny of human rights issues and ESG responsibilities. Governments around the world have started to ramp up enforcement efforts. I'm Kushal Ved. Senior Associate at Hogan Lovells. In today's podcast, I'm joined by Shalita Stewart, a partner in our Washington DC office, and Liam Naidu, a partner from our team in London. Together, we'll discuss what businesses can do in the compliance space in the UK and the US over the coming months. This is notable given the recent developments we're seeing at the primary enforcement agencies. Shalita. Can you tell us how the US is doing in relation to enforcement? From what I can hear and see, the Biden administration has made it clear that fighting corporate crime is a top priority. Is that true? Thanks, Kush. Yes, it's absolutely the case that fighting corporate crime is a top priority in the US. I would say certainly there is always a focus on individual accountability, but there has been a lot of guidance over the past few months focused specifically on corporate crime and corporate enforcement, particularly from the DOJ, but also with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commissions, or SEC. This has been reflected in enforcement activity. And also, as you mentioned, the Biden administration has made several pronouncements related to bribery and corruption. President Biden has designated bribery and corruption as a core national security interest back in June 2021. Many presidential appointees like Merrick Garland, Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco, Assistant Attorney General Kenneth Polite, and others have been issuing these new corporate cl- crime policies and guidance that we've been hearing so much about lately. Let's talk more about that, Shalita. I understand the DOJ has recently revised its Corporate Enforcement Policy, or CEP, after lots of rhetoric in the last few months. And I understand that the plan is to encourage companies to cooperate more with government investigations, including self-disclosure. How will this help the DOJ? Well, certainly the DOJ wants to encourage companies to cooperate voluntarily and has announced certain corporate enforcement policy revisions earlier this year in January, uh, which were published in March of this year. And they focus on what the DOJ would like to describe as uh, benefits for voluntary disclosure and corporate cooperation. And they're the first real revisions to the CEP or corporate enforcement policy since 2017. And so the first key revision in the new policy relates to a company's ability to get a declination. And when we say declination, we mean the Justice Department declining to prosecute or criminally resolve these issues. And so the DOJ provides a pathway to declination, a new pathway for companies in certain circumstances where aggravating circumstances are present. 
And when we say aggravating circumstances, the types of circumstances that that may include would be things like whether a senior executive management was involved in the bribery or corruption or the corporate crime, whether there were significant outsized profits from the wrongdoing, whether there were egregious and pervasive misconduct, and certainly criminal recidivism, meaning that the company is a repeat offender. So under the revised policy, company may still qualify for a declination, even when those aggravating factors are present, assuming that they meet three standards. The first is immediate voluntary self-disclosure. So meaning immediately upon becoming aware of the allegation of misconduct. So what does that really mean? Well, the DOJ actually hasn't defined what it means by immediate. And I think a lot of companies will have challenges in meeting this kind of immediate standard. So they've described it as a disclosure that was made reasonably promptly after discovery of potential misconduct and before imminent risk of discovery by the government. The second standard is one that has been articulated before, but there are some enhancements, and that's related to effective compliance program and internal controls. I think by this point, many companies are aware of the necessity of having an effective compliance program and internal controls to identify and prevent misconduct. But this is an important prong of being able to obtain a a declination from the Department of Justice. Companies must have an effective compliance program at the time that the misconduct is identified. The last standard here is extraordinary cooperation, meaning that companies with aggravating factors must provide extraordinary cooperation and take extraordinary measures before, during, and after a criminal division investigation in order to obtain a potential declination. And so how does extraordinary cooperation compare with cooperation under normal circumstances? I think this is another area where the DOJ has not really defined what extraordinary cooperation means. Thanks, Shalita. If the DOJ then, Liam, are clearly encouraging self-disclosure, is that a phenomenon we're seeing in the UK? And if so, should companies be thinking about voluntary disclosure? Any company that's faced with an internal allegation of bribery or corruption needs to consider how to handle that information and whether it warrants a voluntary disclosure. Appreciating everything that we've just heard in the context of the US, that does not necessarily mean that a company should be going off and disclosing everything to, for example, the serious fraud office. Having said that, in 2021, we saw a really high court judge saying in the context of a deferred prosecution agreement that while there's no legal requirement to disclose, he felt that companies have a moral duty to self-report suspected crimes. And of course, the serious fraud office placed massive emphasis on the need to self-report as a quid pro quo for getting and securing a DPA. But the relationship between self-reporting and the likelihood of a settlement is very complex. And certainly there have been a number of examples in the right circumstances where companies have challenged or may want to challenge the cases being brought against them without self-disclosing. And certainly there are companies who are faced with problems who will be looking at the extent to which the SFO really have the wherewithal and resource to prosecute and challenge the company's wrongdoing. So 
what I would say is that there just is not the viable threat in the context of the serious fraud office and prosecution risk in the UK that there is, for example, in the US. So you have to take the two jurisdictions very differently. Liam, given the SFO's few successes, its recent change in leadership and future uncertainty, will the new failure to prevent fraud offence working its way through UK Parliament give the SFO an adrenaline shot? The appointment of Nick F. Grave as the new director of the Serious Fraud Office, I think, signals a very significant change in the operational and strategic direction uh, of the SFO. He's the first director to be appointed who is not a lawyer. He comes from the heart of the criminal justice system, the Metropolitan Police Force, and he will no doubt want to be focused on cultural change within the SFO, which has been a big factor of the criticisms of the SFO in recent years. But he will also want to ensure operational repair before he looks at any substantive and strategic prosecution strategies. But there is no question that the changes in the law uh, that Parliament and government are looking at in the context of financial crime and corporate crime will be used by Mr F. Grave in the years to come. And certainly it's the serious fraud office who have been the loudest voice in pushing for reform. I have been sceptical that changes such as the so-called failure to prevent fraud offence will materially change the serious fraud office ability to prosecute serious financial crime in the context of corporate wrongdoing. However, we'll wait to see what that uh, legislation looks like. We probably won't see a final text of that legislation until the autumn. Uh, it will, we'll wait to see whether it will apply to all corporates or just large corporates. But perhaps much more interestingly, and probably more powerful for Mr F. Grave in the years to come, is a proposed reform in respect to what we call the identification principle. And that will signal a change in the way that corporates are prosecuted for certain types of financial crime. Essentially, Parliament are looking to make it much easier for corporates to be prosecuted for criminal wrongdoing. And I think if that succeeds, that will seriously give the Serious Fraud Office ammunition and weaponry to go after corporate crime. Shalita, we referenced the corporate enforcement policy recently updated, and I'd like to learn more, and I'm sure our listeners would too, about some of the specifics in that recently updated policy. One of the major takeaways was about personal devices and ephemeral messaging. Could you tell me and our listeners a little bit more about the details surrounding that? Thanks, Kush. As I mentioned, in March of this year, the DOJ announced various policy changes intended to promote corporate compliance. And specifically, it updated its Evaluation of Corporate Compliance Program Guidance, otherwise referred to as ECCP Guidance. One change that is of particular importance to our clients relates to personal devices and the use of third-party messaging applications. So why is the Justice Department focused on these personal devices and third-party messaging apps? Well, this is because this impacts the ability of the Justice Department and others to investigate. Preserving electronic data and information is important to be able to respond to subpoenas, other requests for information, 
And it's also very important for clients to be able to conduct their own internal investigations into misconduct and be able to identify where and who um, may have been involved in alleged misconduct. So it's really important that these types of messages be preserved. We know that post-COVID, there's been an increased use of personal devices, especially for work-related purposes. And so there's a compliance risk associated with retention of data on personal devices, but also a risk when using third-party messaging applications that involve ephemeral messaging, meaning applications that delete messages after sending. These are really challenging to retain and present challenges with respect to investigating misconduct. The DOJ has three new areas of considerations for businesses to make sure their compliance programs are effective. One relates to the data preservation on personal devices. So if personal devices are necessary for work-related communications, companies really need to think about data preservation. Companies need to look into reviewing or establishing, if they don't have policies on this topic, the use of personal devices for work-related purposes. The second is the use of ephemeral messaging apps. As, as we described, these are messages that delete upon sending. Companies really need to think about the benefits of prohibiting these sorts of messaging apps for business communications and do um, a third prong, which is a comprehensive risk assessment to really understand where these messaging apps may be used in the business. This will make sure that your assessment is tailored to those high risk areas, markets or businesses where this activity may be occurring. We really encourage companies to consider their current policies with respect to data preservation, ephemeral messaging, and personal devices to make sure that they are aligned with DOJ's most recent guidance. This has been such a great discussion. Thank you, Liam, and thank you, Shalita, for your insights. Let's end this conversation with one last question then. It seems the US is accelerating and articulating a clear message on tackling corruption even if some specifics will need enforcement to provide clarity. Liam, do you think the UK, or even can the UK and its enforcement agencies keep pace with these developments and the expectations stemming from the US? They have to. They just have to secure convictions of senior executives who are implicated in corporate fraud or bribery. Serious financial crime costs the UK economy billions. And unfortunately, London has developed a reputation instead of being a secure financial centre of being a laundromat for dirty money. And that has to change. And I think this government is focused on that to some extent. They've come under some criticism um, for being a part of the negative culture in, in the context of good governance. But I think that we will see in the context of legislative change some um overall cultural change in how we approach financial crime. Some commentators have suggested that Mr. F. Graves' appointment may signal a more domestic focus on, for example, fraud, uh, which is a big problem in the UK economy. But the changes of law that I referred to earlier on, I think will give the SFO much more firepower to pursue corporates. 
But we have to also remember to look ahead because we're probably likely to see a change of government in the coming years. And certainly a Labour government under Keir Starmer with his criminal uh, justice background could well focus on pursuit of corporate crime and individuals who are involved in that corporate crime. And only recently the Labour um, front bench have suggested uh, that they will support an international corruption court. Uh, and that type of international focus on corruption could be a very interesting development in the years to come. Thank you for joining us. For more information on this podcast or any other topics we've covered so far, head to the website hoganlovells.com. <laughs>